Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. My guest today is Louis Siegelbaum and he has written several books on the Soviet Union. Today we are going to discuss the reign of Stalin. And as always, I ask, how, how did you get into the Soviet Union and the history of the Soviet Union? I was the uh, son of an, uh, a teacher in uh, the public schools of New York City, who uh, uh, himself joined the American Communist Party in the late 1930s. How, was that, uh, how well was that received? I'm sorry, I didn't... How, how well was that received that they joined the American Communist Party? Well, um, during my very young years in the 1950s, uh, he was um, a victim of McCarthyism. That is, uh, the, uh, the union representing teachers in New York City decided to purge itself of uh, suspected members of the Communist Party. And um, my father, uh, along with hundreds of others, um, was uh, removed from the union. And that essentially meant he could no longer keep his job as a teacher. Uh, And so he uh, was assisted by several friends um, to transition into other lines of work, uh, which was the situation when I was growing up. Uh, This always um, made me curious and fascinated about uh, what it was that my father had uh, done or believed in that was so reprehensible um, in American society. Uh, So um, when I um, got a little older, I began to uh, try to learn myself what Um, that ideology was about. Um, Many of my friends now speaking of the 1960s were drawn to studying other things um, associated with communism. Of course, this was the uh, period during which the the Vietnam War was was already um, taking place. Um, Chinese communism was also something that um, many of my fellow students at Columbia University were fascinated uh, by, but I wanted to find out where it all began. Uh, what was the first communist society? And uh, so that drew me to the study of Russian. Uh, I also have a, a familial connection in that my grandparents came from the Russian empire uh, for the most part. And um, uh, so uh, I studied Russian and I studied history and uh, as they say, the rest is history. Mm. So we don't just focus on Stalin's life today, which is fascinating of its own. And uh, we don't start in, with Stalin's early years. And I want to acknowledge that his real name wasn't really Stalin, was it? His Joseph Stalin is something different. Uh, Stalin was born in, in uh, Georgia, um, in, in then part of the Russian Empire. Uh, in 1878, uh, and his real name was Yosip, which is the Georgian version of, of uh, Joseph, uh, and his last name was Jugashvili, 
uh, which is uh, not, um, not all that uncommon uh, Georgian name. Um, uh, he acquired the name Stalin or chose it uh, only after having uh, adopted several other pseudonyms, uh, several other names, um, the, uh, the best known of which were um, uh, Soso uh, and uh, Koba. And these are derived from uh, Georgian uh, sort of literature, Georgian uh, legends. Um, so how did he end up with Stalin? Stalin, he chose because um, he wanted to evoke um, the characteristics of a, a, a firm as steel uh, individual, Stalin from Stal, the Russian word for steel. So man of steel is one of the ways in which Stalin could be understood. So let's just draw in Stalin for now. And how how is this early years in growing up in Georgia in the in the Russian Empire? How does he how does he himself view Russian Empire at this young age? Right, uh, Stalin, um, who uh, went to a, a theological seminary uh, for his education. Uh, this in the in the town of uh, Tbilisi or Tiflis, as it was known at the time uh, in, in the empire, um, uh, initially became something of a Georgian nationalist. That is, he took pride in his Georgian heritage. He wrote uh, Georgian poetry. Um, he partook of those legends I, I mentioned, uh, Georgian bravery and heroism. How, how um, was being a Georgian patriot, to put it this way, viewed by the government of the, was this frowned upon by the government? Was it like, this is bad, we can't have Georgian nationalists in our empire that would be in? Um, well, at the time, we're speaking of when, of when Stalin was a, a teenager and, and at school. Um, I mean, not necessarily Stalin, but in general for Georgian patriots. Uh, yeah. Uh, this was uh, this was the stuff of a lot of um, the peoples of the Russian Empire, um, and so long as it did not take uh, uh, political uh, organizational forms, um, this was this was regarded as part of the heritage and diversity, if you will, of the Russian Empire. So it wasn't was, like this formed a need a rebellion kind of thing. They've just no right. Uh, much more seriously was taken the concerted efforts oh. of uh, the uh, so-called populist uh, Narodnik in Russian efforts uh, to overthrow the Tsar and establish a revolutionary democracy, as it were, um, such as the people's will, which had carried out the assassination of Alexander the II the the in uh, 1881, uh, and continued to function in some fashion underground in, throughout the 1880s during the period of Stalin's uh, youth. And moving into the 1890s, 
Um, well, this is when the Russian social democrats, uh, the Russian Marxists, uh, emerged. Was, they, wasn't Lenin's brother part of the assassination of Alexander II? Uh, uh, not a part of that uh, attempt, but part of that organization and um, for which Lenin's brother uh, paid the highest price. He was executed as a revolutionary conspirator. Um, uh, but Stalin was not part of that um, movement uh, until the late years of the, of the um, millennium, uh, the end of the 19th century. Uh, drawn to Marxism sometime around his 20th uh, birthday. And um, uh, uh, he was, he, he, he uh, finished his uh, education at the seminary um, in, under some what obscure circumstances. I, I, I can't remember the details and sort of graduated into the Russian social democratic movement. So this is his first introduction into politics, as, as I say. And is he like, does he have a talent, natural talent for politics or is he, how does he evolve as a go along? Well, when, when, when we speak of politics at this time in this place, we're talking about um, circles of uh, like-minded individuals gathering to read surreptitious literature, uh, the works of Marx, uh, among other things. Um, we're talking about attempts to uh, organize workers who were deemed to be the uh, leading element of the revolutionary movement um, to form uh, trade unions, um, and uh, to uh, publish, if they could, uh, newspapers uh, to attract uh, more uh, supporters. So these are the kinds of political activities that Stalin uh, engaged in, in in his early years. A bit later on, after the 1905 failed revolution, um, particularly in the Caucasus, the region where Stalin was active, um, there were also uh, attempts to, uh, some, some of which were quite successful, um, hold up um, uh, uh, banks and uh, uh, convoys uh, uh, with money in order to finance the operations of... Was it kind of like the IRA did back in Ireland in some sense? Yes, I would say that would be somewhat similar, yes. So how the, how does it meet Lenin? How how is the exile as well, or is does it meet Lenin in Russia? But how how does that happen? Is there something in between here that I missed, or how does it happen? I'm trying to recall. I believe it was in 1903 or four, and it was um, at a uh, so-called conference of the party, then meeting in um, I think quite possibly Finland. So Finland was part of the Russian Empire, but had a somewhat autonomous status as a grand duchy. 
and um, it was possible for Russian social democrats to uh, to gather. And I and I, I believe it was at one of these conferences uh, where uh, Stalin first encountered Lenin. Um, uh, the relationship uh, grew uh, war warmer uh, over the years. Lenin came to regard Stalin as a, um, uh, a, a loyal member of the, um, of the Bolshevik faction of the Russian Social Democratic Workers' Party. Um, and um, Stalin uh, was not alone, of course, but Stalin revered Lenin as, uh, you know, a, uh, a reliable and um, inspirational leader. Did he think himself was not hating the leader instead of Lenin, or did he, did he think that Lenin should be the one in power? They, uh, they did differ on certain issues uh, from time to time. Um, but uh, as far as I can recall, Stalin never questioned that Lenin should be the leader of the Bolsheviks. Of course, there is, I, I would hesitate to call it the love triangle, so to speak, but uh, there is kind of a triangle here with Trotsky being in the world. So how was the relationship? He was kind of also as well Stalin's second man, so to speak, if I'm not mistaken here. And how how was how was this triangle with Trotsky, Lenin, and because as you know, Stalin did not like Trotsky very much. So how did that work out? Uh, Trotsky was not a Bolshevik. He uh, he was among the uh, the, the uh, Social Democrats who uh, did not. Um, affiliate with either the Bolsheviks nor the Mensheviks um, until 1917. Um, so during those years, uh, Trotsky was something of a thorn in the side of both the Bolsheviks and Mensheviks because he had his own uh, independent ideas about the nature of the, of the revolution they hoped to bring about. Um, uh, but uh, once Trotsky did join the Bolsheviks in 1917, um, he became uh, certainly one of the leading Bolsheviks. Wasn't he one of the part, the main leaders of the failed 1905 revolution? Yeah, he was the last uh, chair of the of the uh, of the Soviet that had been formed, the Council of uh, Workers Deputies in uh in in uh in the capital in saint petersburg um uh and uh, suffered as did stalin for many years um periods of exile of internal exile uh, uh, being sent to siberia uh, as well as um, uh, fleeing the empire and living living abroad this was characteristic of most of the leading bolsheviks including lenin so let's talk about the before we go. We'll have to, of course, talk about uh, Lenin in, in power as well and Stalin's behind, kind of behind the scene ish. But we first, we'd rather talk about the revolution, the 1917 revolution. So, what, how does it, as we know, this proceed? But how easy was it for the 1917 revolution? That wasn't like they were just walked in the palace, or did they, how, how did the 1917 
revolution occurred? What was Stalin's role in the mm. revolution itself? Uh, the revolution uh, is normally seen as uh, uh, two revolutions, uh, uh, at least uh, um, two uh, uprisings, one in February uh, when the Tsar is overthrown and uh, in, in, a, in a, uh, a, a sort of mass um, uprising in the capital um, in, in which the uh, soldiers uh, who were stationed there and, and uh, were, who were supposed to disperse the crowds uh, actually um, uh, countermanded their orders and uh, went over to the side of the crowd uh, with the, the, the Tsar um, uh, being taken under uh, house arrest. Um, and uh, then um, a, a period of eight months of um, uh, what is often described as dual power, during which um, uh, members of the, uh, the legislature under the Tsar, the Duma, um, form a provisional government, uh, provisional until a full elections could be held throughout the empire and a constituent assembly uh, could be elected um, to determine legitimately the, the nature of the, the new state. Um, and and uh, so that's on the one hand. Uh, and on the other, um, these uh, councils or Soviets of workers and now also soldiers and eventually peasants deputies elected in their constituencies um, who acted as a kind of check on the provisional government, lest the provisional government backtrack and attempt to reinstall some form of monarchy, either uh, 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 constitutional monarchy or you know, some, something of that nature. Uh, and this was a very unstable period politically, as well as economically and socially. And, and as well uh, as we know, the Bolshevik versus the white civil war. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't. Uh, as well as we know, the Bolshevik and the white versus the white civil war. Well, this actually comes after the October mm. Revolution. Uh, so, during this period of instability, there is an attempt to re to reinstall the monarchy um, headed by a uh, very sort of dynamic, charismatic general named Kornilov in August of 1917. This is turned back largely by uh, workers, rail railway workers and the forces mobilized by the Bolsheviks. And that gave the Bolsheviks great impetus um, and opportunity which Lenin returning to Russia from Finland um, insisted they seize. And so Lenin with the assistance of Trotsky and I should mention now Stalin as well, uh, organized the, the insurrection in St. Petersburg, which had become known as Petrograd already back in 1914 um, to, to seize power. Stalin, I should mention had been the uh, first of the leading Bolsheviks to arrive in St. Petersburg, Petrograd, in uh, March 1917. So he 
before Lenin was able to return, before Trotsky had, had come back to, to Russia, Stalin was on the scene and along with uh, another leading Bolshevik, Nyev uh, Kamenev, organized the Bolshevik forces in the capital. Um, and um, uh, actually, as it turned out, was less keen to, uh, to break with the provisional government than, uh, than was Lenin. Um, so Lenin, when he arrived in April, of 1917 uh, argued for all power to the Soviets. And this was something of a shock to most of the Bolsheviks, including Stalin. Uh, but eventually they come over to accept Lenin's, uh, Lenin's position. And um, in October, uh, that is realized. Now it's at that point that this, or shortly thereafter, the civil war gets underway when the counter-revolutionary anti-Bolshevik forces begin to organize elsewhere uh, in the empire as well as uh, from abroad. Uh, how, how, what is Stalin's role in the civil war and how as they have succeeded taking over, how, what is his role now before, I should know before he take, we don't get to him getting power, but I want to talk a little bit before under Lenin's what was his role under Lenin's rule? Uh, Stalin was appointed um, as commissar of nationalities uh, from, from, the, from the outset, from, uh, from the October Revolution. And uh, commissar is a, is a Bolshevik um, uh, term uh, that um, is the equivalent of minister. Minister sounded too bourgeois for, for the Bolsheviks, so they... they uh, they, uh, I think they adapted from the provisional government's um, uh, vocabulary or nomenclature, the term commissar. Stalin was the first of the uh, commissars of, nation of nationalities, which meant that he had re enor enormous responsibility to try to um, make connections with and uh, persuade the multitudes of, of uh, nationalities or nations within the former Tsarist Empire to uh, accept Bolshevik leadership. Uh, and he held that position for, I think, about five years, in the course of which he also took over other responsibilities. And uh, already in uh, 1922, I believe it was, um, he, uh, within the Bolshevik um, uh, party ex accepted the position of general secretary to head the secretariat of the of the party. Now, as, as I just mentioned on earlier, this is is this where we see that what what is the dislike between him? and I want to mention him because he is kind of an important character. I think Trotsky. Why does he dislike Trotsky so much? Is it different ideologies? Is it the what what is the deal between Trotsky and Lenin? Stalin, that's yeah. made them so, right. so, so to speak, hot for each other that day. In that right. Well, let's start with, with personality, which, you know, is the thing that is emphasized um, most, I imagine, in, in, or is most well-known, but in some ways, I think is least 
significant. Uh, Trotsky was uh, a very dynamic speaker, a very sort of public individual, um, could hold forth uh, for, for long periods of time, um, and, and did so. Uh, it was uh, um, certainly uh, most prominent other than Lenin within the Bolsheviks. Um, whereas Stalin was a much more private individual acting sort of behind the scenes, doing the grunt work, if you will. Um, and of course, they came from very different backgrounds, uh, Trotsky's being a, a, a sort of middle class Jewish uh, landowning, which is quite unusual uh, in the Russian Empire, uh, Jewish family, and uh, Stalin from a relatively humble uh, provincial background. Um, but so I say personality is not all that significant. I should also add that uh, Stalin, um, and this has been revealed in a book just recently published called Stalin's Library, uh, which is about, as the title would suggest, the books in Stalin's library and the annotations in those books, sort of you know, notes that Stalin would made, make in the margins. Um, it turns out that Stalin um, had a lot of books by Trotsky, um, had positive uh, comments uh, to make about uh, Trotsky's um, arguments in these books. For example, uh, one that I recall vividly is Stalin um, agreeing with Trotsky that Karl Kautsky, the German social democrat, was on the wrong track and you know should be criticized heavily. Um, so there was a certain degree of respect, I think, that Stalin had for Trotsky, which, uh, for all intents and purposes, I don't think was was uh, reciprocated uh, that much. I don't think there's much evidence of Trotsky expressing uh, either publicly or privately must much uh, respect uh, for Stalin. Um, so it wasn't neutral. I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to um, lay down my life on that, but uh, uh, I think more importantly, uh, they represented different versions of Bolshevism. Uh, because Trotsky wanted Bolshevism for the world, not just Russia, but Stalin was more conservative. Yes, something along those lines. So Trotsky sees the Russian Revolution as the first stage of um, of a revolution that would that would include much of Europe and and indeed thanks to Europe being a, a you know a colonial uh, imperial uh, uh, power in the case of many of European countries um, the colonies as well. Um, and while Stalin did not um, reject that. Uh, that vision out of hand, uh, Stalin, particularly during the 1920s, when their rivalry was at its, uh, its most intense, uh, comes to see the defense of the revolution as being not dependent on outside support, but rather in, internally, that, that, that the, the Bolshevik communist, now communist, party uh, leading uh, Soviet Russia had to uh, um, de develop ways of, of defending the revolution, uh, the, the gains of the October revolution from, from within. And so Stalin comes up with this 
you know, you know the slogan or formula of, of socialism in one country uh, that it um, could be it could be built within uh, the within Soviet Russia and after 1924 the Soviet Union uh, alone. And there are actually Trotskyists living today that believe in more in Trotskyist ide ideology that tries to build it up. Uh, indeed, indeed, there are, yes. And, and uh, uh, they have lived marginal existences uh, in, in, in the case of, you know, the, the broad left, um, because they remained unreconciled to uh, the Stalinist version of communism, shall we say, the Soviet Union as the leading example, um, and communist parties throughout, throughout the world. Yeah, back to Stalin, and now I want to go to, because I mentioned Trotsky a little bit here, the derail, the derail to, so to speak, because as we, as we know, he was, Stalin was never really supposed, on Lenin's deathbed, Stalin was never really supposed to be in power, it was Trotsky that was supposed to take over, but how, how does Stalin go about changing the document and and the fact that is it more a myth that it was Trotsky and not Stalin, or is that historical evidence? Yeah, so you, I think, are referring to the so-called testament of, of, of Lenin. Yeah. Um, uh, well, uh, it's, not, it's not quite so clear uh, exactly what the status of that document is. And uh, in, in fact, the, the authorship of that document has even been questioned in a recent uh, biography of Stalin by uh, a Princeton professor uh, named Stephen Kotkin. Um, most historians are willing to accept that uh, Lenin dictated, did indeed dictate this document um, as an expression of his concern about the, the divisions among the Bolsheviks that were likely to be exacerbated in the event of Lenin's death, um, and uh, and and Lenin did criticize uh, uh, Stalin uh, for being rude and uh, and uh, sort of uh, self-centered in a way. Um, but uh, I think it's uh, important to stress that Lenin also criticized Trotsky and and several other of the leading Bolsheviks. Um, and so it was not clear at all uh, who should assume leadership. Collective leadership was the formula that was used at least temporarily because no one could fill Lenin's shoes, uh, if, if not for other reasons. Um, so uh, those years of the mid-1920s are the period when uh, you know, which, which, which among the, uh, the leading Bolsheviks would emerge um, as, um, as, as Lenin's heir, as it were, um, became uh, the center of Bolshevik politics. And um, Stalin had the advantage of being the general secretary of the party and therefore uh, as I think someone dubbed him, Mr. Appointments. So he could appoint individuals within the party to governmental and party positions uh, and amassed a, a, a loyal following uh, via 
hard work and um, a lot of uh, a lot of arm twisting in a way that's that Trotsky could not. Trotsky relied on his sort of personal dynamism and the the uh, the the creativity of his ideas and that kind of thing. And that just that just uh, could not compete. It wasn't Trotsky, in other words. Uh, 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 sorry, I, I it, 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 it just wasn't Trotsky that, in other words, it wasn't Trotsky. That 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 that, that way Stalin. Never mind. Never mind. Uh, yeah. So Stalin finally is in power, and we're going to leave Trotsky. And if anyone's curious, he is eventually sent to Mexico, and he is is that he's he's killed in by the KGB in 1939 with a pickaxe of all things in the head. So then we don't leave 40. So we don't leave Trotsky there, and he's going to focus the rest on Stalin. So what does it do when he finally is in power? Um, well, you, you, your remarks cover a lot of history. <laughs> so, Stalin is already pretty much yeah. a, a leader without without rivals. Uh, but the big, in, big power, to put, put it that way. Yeah, 1927, 28, and um, it's Stalin who insists upon and pushes through uh, the collectivization of agriculture, the industrialization of the country uh, via this mm. crash, intensified upheaval of the first five-year plan, 1928 to 32, and then followed by a second and third five-year plan. Um, How does it and, go about in making Russia industrialized? Because as we know, it's quite a backwards country to put it that way in, at this before mm-hmm. industrialization. So does he send people from the outside to help him with the industrialization? Or does he how does it, it how does it get people to help him with it did it did recruit people from abroad. Um, uh, and there were people who both because of their political um, affiliation as well as uh, the fact that in many in many cases uh, this was during the Great Depression and uh, people needed work. Um, um, people can't both uh, technical experts as well as ordinary work working class people came to the Soviet Union to assist with training and uh, designing uh, of factories and um, and other uh, facilities. So a lot of the dams and a lot of the factories and um, uh, other other things were uh, uh, benefited from foreign assistance, but the great thrust of Soviet industrialization was the um, mobilization of a, uh, an industrial workforce um, consisting overwhelmingly of peasants who had been deracinated, who had been uh, dragged out of the villages by virtue of collectivization and who um, needed work uh, to survive and needed needed a wage and uh, flocked to these new industrial work sites. Um, 
so uh, this, these gigantic industrial work sites, be it Magnitogorsk in the in the Urals or the Stalingrad tractor factory uh, or um, other gigantic um, enterprises. How much of those factories between weapon weapon industrial factories and focus on weapon and ammunition and gunpowder? Well, the, the sort of retooling of the of the Soviet uh, Red Army um, is a work was a work in progress in the 20s already uh, and into the 1930s um, as a means of defending the Soviet Union from possible invasion. Uh, and uh, this involved uh, weapons production, but I am not aware of a single work devoted to uh, this aspect of Soviet industrialization. So it's- So it wasn't like Nazi Germany where most factories became weapon and mass production of tanks, armor, etc. Oh, well, this, 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 this happens later. So this happens, uh, you know, pretty much on the fly, as it were, once the uh, Second World War breaks out in 1939. Uh, so, for example, the um, uh, the automobile factory uh, in Nizhny Novgorod, um, uh, the Gaz factory, Gorky automobile factory, uh, converts to a uh, tank factory um, almost overnight uh, one, once the war breaks out. But so far, Stalin doesn't sound like a bad guy, right? He sounds rather like, like a great, good guy. So let's talk about his dark side as well. As we know, he isn't exactly the nicest person in the world. So let's talk about the gulag and how, when those people started criticizing and what happens to those people, as, is, as well, probably most people already know. Yeah. Uh, so the Gulag, uh, which is an acronym uh, for uh, the state administration of uh, lagere, of camps, of labor camps. It wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't it much was, different from the concentration, Nazi concentration camps, in other words. Uh, I would say it was. Okay, so the... So the, the, uh, the um, the purpose of the labor camps uh, was, I would say, twofold. One was to uh, was to separate or isolate people from uh, their uh, residences, uh, um, from, from being a, away from uh, major cities, and but the other was uh, to provide a coerced labor force, uh, and um, particularly in the case of. Uh, minerals uh, excavation uh, to some extent timber uh, felling um, and uh, probably uh, agriculture in the, th- in the third instance um, and these were spread at, spread across the entirety of the of the Soviet Union the so-called archipelago uh, that uh, Solzhenitsyn would later uh, use as the metaphor. So now the uh, most common people would be center would be political opponents and people who criticize Stalin, but they didn't send just random people to us. Because we did just have an episode in, I don't know if you see us, listen to it, but we did have one about Jehovah's Witness where they were sent and exiled to Siberia, etc., under the Soviet Union. Was was it 
yeah, was witnesses with different religious beliefs that was sent to the jeweler as well. What, what, what was the criteria to, to, to be sent to the jeweler? Um, for um, a long period of time during and for decades after <clears throat> the Stalin era, most people assumed that the gulag was filled with political exiles, that people who had were suspected of having criticized or had, had plans to overthrow or you know something of that sort Stalin. Uh, this actually, it turns out, thanks to the opening of the archives in the 1990s, uh, to have involved a, a relatively small proportion of the number of people in the gulag. The gulag for the most part consisted of uh, ordinary working class and peasant people who had committed or were convicted of having committed one form of uh, crime or another, um, whether it was petty theft or um, uh, shirking uh, at work or, uh, um, or just because uh, certain uh, um, target figures were, uh, certain quotas were um, uh, sent out among the, uh, the, the police force, the, the NKVD, uh, the Commissariat of Internal Affairs, um, to, uh, to satisfy. And, and eventually it, it encompasses also entire nationalities who were um, deemed to be untrustworthy or disloyal to the Soviet Union. Actually, what they asked well, was the Jew, as the man of the family, the same name, was sort of a camp in the Russian Empire as well, or was that something new that we see in the Soviet Union? Ah, yes, there were. There were um, places of exile um, in the Tsarist Empire, uh, for the most part uh, to the east, not you know, sort of stereotypically Siberia, but not, not, not only Siberia. Uh, but these were not so much labor camps. The, the notion of, of the labor camp, uh, in a kind of bizarre way it might seem, uh, had to do with um, personal reformation so by through labor, the notion was someone could redeem him or herself, uh, and that's a Soviet uh, that's a Soviet emphasis. Uh, under under the Tsars, uh, simply getting people out of harm's way, as it were, or you know, places where they could do harm, was uh, was thought to be uh, sufficient. So. So the notion of labor camp is not really one that, uh, I mean, of course, they had to earn their personal keep, as it were, in, and they had to work uh, to survive, but um, the emphasis was not so much on, on labor. And as we know, that even if it was just two years, the suicide rate would be pretty high in there. So what, do we have a suicide rate that would, how, of how common was it? Was it that the suicide rate? Yeah, well, uh, death through either suicide or, or malnutrition or disease uh, was very common. Uh, I don't 
have the finger the figures at my fingertips, but it was it was it was hot. Yeah. Yes. So let's talk about another guy that comes into the picture at this point, and uh, I believe you know him as in Nazi Germany, Adolf Hitler, and uh, he for he's as we know he's not very kind towards communism, and he doesn't view it very highly. So how does how does this alliance work out? How does the alliance with Stalin and Hitler first begin? From the standpoint of Stalin, the uh, the pact, the non-aggression was, was it a logical alliance for him, or was it kind of we kind of kind of the same? But uh, is it or was it more like a means to an end? To put it that way. Well, I see it, and I'm certainly not alone, uh, as a, uh, a, uh, the result of the failure of uh, the Soviet Union and uh, the remaining democracies of Europe to coordinate their resistance to the rise of fascism and particularly Nazism. Um, so throughout the 1930s, there are attempts to, uh, to coordinate. And then there are, there are um, alliances that are established uh, with several of the central European countries, Czechoslovakia uh, being the, the key example. But each time when push came to shove, uh the you know the the whether it's britain or france or or the soviet union sort of backs off from fulfilling uh the expectations of support and uh the munich pact uh that was signed uh by the french and british uh leaders with uh, nazi germany and and uh, mussolini's italy in 1938 was a clear indication to stalin that um, the Soviet Union would have to go it alone uh, should Nazi Germany decide to invade the Soviet Union, which Stalin feared all along because of the virulent anti-Bolshevism that was present in Nazism from the very beginning. So uh, that is the precipitant to the non-aggression pact that uh, Stalin concluded with Hitler in uh, August 1939 that led to, within a month, the invasion, the dual invasion of Poland, the partitioning of Poland between uh, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. So is it, is it, is it through the story that Hitler did send a photographer to check that if Stalin was a Jew and that if he passed his eyebrows, if they were Jewish, is that is that a true story? Uh, in all frankness, I have not heard of that story uh, before. Um, I, I I can't comment on that. I really, have to consult with a, an expert uh, on Nazism or hmm. Hitler. Because I heard, I heard a story somewhere, I don't recall where, but it says that Hitler, in order to test if Stalin was a Jew or not, that he did send a photographer to check on his eyebrows, of all things, 
see if they were Jewish descent in there. And apparently it's all in the past. It, 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 it's, I think, apocryphal. Mm. <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility given the craziness of Nazism, but uh, what went on in, inside that fevered uh, brain of Hitler's, but um, uh, I've, not, I've not heard of it before. So as we know, the alliance eventually breaks up, or if you can call it an alliance at all, when Operation Barbarossa. So what is Stalin's reaction? When was he thinking, I was kind of expecting that, or was it more or less a shock when, I, when Hitler launched Operation Barbarossa? Yeah, here again, uh, recent uh, historical work has debunked um, the previously accepted uh, story, which was that Stalin was so surprised and distraught that he, um, you know, suffered something akin to a nervous breakdown. That really doesn't seem to have been the case. It turns out so um, that Stalin was surprised is possible. Um, uh, Stalin tended to distrust some of the. Uh, intelligence he was receiving um, about uh, the intentions of the of the Nazis uh, to invade the Wehrmacht to invade, uh, but um, that he suffered as kind of emotional trauma, um, th- there is simply no evidence of. I was I was reading the writing some with John Tom about a year ago or so, and there mentioned that it's Eastern talk about when Stalin is as well in talk with Japanese. Embassy about if they since they are as well in alliance with the Axis power that they if would they attack and that they kind of negotiate the deal that Japan would not attack right Russia. Yes, this is the, the, the Richard Sorger uh, is the agent uh, who um, reported from Tokyo, um, and. Um, yeah, this was there be... doubt that was there doubt that Japan joining the attack of Russia as well, or was it 1905? Russian Japanese were kind of still bittersweet for the Japanese at this point. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm uh, very vague about this. I have to confess, so I, I, I can't talk about it. That's all right. Uh, so yeah, let's go back to Barbarossa. It's just where you say that the factory. That you know, that is turn the factories into weapon factories overnight. Mm. Is this when you start realizing that I this has yeah. been done? Well, it's I mean some of it starts before because you know that that the Soviet Union would be pulled into the war at some point um, seemed to be uh, a pretty good bet. You know, already in the late 1930s. So some of this. The, 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 the mobilization of materiel uh, and of, of people uh, was, was beginning already before uh, the invasion. Mm. So when, when does it get in contact with the allies of Britain and America? Does, he, how, does the, the, the Churchill and Roosevelt contact him or does he contact them. As we know, they had a, several meetings in Italy. Uh, not Italy, I think, but I, I don't remember where, but they had several meetings where they, well, they, met, in, they met in Tehran and they met in, uh, in, in Yalta, uh, in Crimea. 
Um, but um, the initial meetings, the initial con contacts were through uh, uh, ambassadors and uh, plenipotentiaries who were sent to one or the other of the capitals. Um, Anthony Eden, I think, in, from Britain, um, Averill Harriman, if I'm not mistaken, uh, from the US, or Joseph Davies, who had been a previous ambassador from the US to the Soviet Union. Uh, these are all um, individuals who uh, are um, empowered to discuss the uh, arrangements, the, 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 net, the uh, conditions, the uh, wherewithal for uh, supplying the Soviet Union with um, lend-lease material from the United States, for, for instance, um, and to uh, some extent as well for joint um, military, op well, not joint military operations, but sort of coordinated military operations. There's a uh, promise uh, given of the opening of the second front uh, that uh, is made uh, by the Western allies, um, which Stalin insists upon at, at, at the earliest possible date. Uh, of course, it's only with the D-Day landing of June 1944 when this actually happens on a massive scale. So, as we know, Stalin kind of enters Berlin first, and as we, as we are, again, we know that the, well, the West was Western allies were kind of fairness. So, what, how, well, how big a victory was it for Stalin that he got to enter the Berlin and Germany first? It must be massive. Um, yes, it's hard to <laughs> it's hard it's hard to exaggerate uh, how significant uh, the Soviet victory, uh, the Soviet contribution to the Allied victory was in in the Second World War. Um, I say that because uh, growing up in the United States, we you know, I always you know associated uh, the, the the Second World War with the American. Uh, contribution, the war in the Pacific, the war in, in Europe as well. Um, but uh, in terms of the defeat of Nazi Germany, there is no question whatsoever that the Soviet Union, first of all, paid the, the heaviest price, 27 million people is the estimate um, uh, killed uh, and uh, uh, provided the greatest um, fighting force, the greatest uh, wherewithal to uh, to defeat uh, the, the Nazis. So, as we discussed in Operation Papercrip, in with Brian Cream, who was a previous guest here, we there was the, how how did they go about finding the scientists? And we're going to start talk a little bit about the nuclear program before the mm. death of Stalin. So, how does how does uh, the, the how did, program, how did um, as we know how the Americans did, but how did the Soviet? to find the scientists, the right scientists. And how, as we, like we said, they talked about an operation paperclip. Was it like, are, are you a scientist? Yes, I am. That, 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 that was easy to lie about it, that they took fake scientists to put it that way. Uh, so this is a project that um, Stalin's fellow Georgian and head of the uh, internal security services, uh, Leobrenti Beria, 
uh, establishes uh, uh, already during the, the war years. Um, and uh, it did entail the setting up of special facilities and the recruitment of, uh, of, of uh, physicists within the Soviet Union. Um, it also involved um, uh, trying to persuade uh, the Americans to share their knowledge of the, uh, how, how to develop atomic weapons. And as, as we um, know, he did have spies within NASA as, as well that he helped send him information right. back to the Soviet Union. Right. And, uh, and they, proved, they were successful at, at doing this. And I think what's, what's come out um, in, in the cases of the Rosenbergs um, who were executed for having shared American secrets with the Soviet Union, um, the only civilian to be executed uh, uh, for that. And um, uh, several others who, uh, Klaus Fuchs uh, being perhaps the key uh, individual uh, was uh, their motivation was that the Soviet Union was a was a, a wartime ally, and uh, to the extent that the Americans could um, cooperate with the wartime ally, they were going to try to make that happen, um, and um, so. Uh, how, how much it accelerated the Soviet project, uh, you know, I think is impossible to say exactly, but it certainly, it certainly helped. Mm. Um, something we forgot to rather talk about and something I think we should mention, and they deserve 100% an episode of their own, is that it's the KGB, of course, because Stalin was kind of founder of the KGB as we know it, wasn't mm -hmm. it? The KGB, uh, which is the state uh, security um, apparatus, uh, is the sort of legatee or the, 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 the um, inheritor of uh, several previous uh, bodies, several previous um, insti institutions, um, of which the, uh, the, the, the state political uh, administration, the, the GPU. It's perhaps what he might most famous for, I would say, the KGB. One of the things he's most famous for establishing, the spy program. The spy program? Yeah. It isn't that what KGB is, the spying. Um... Well, the, the KGB has both internal and external uh, um, operations or responsibilities. It's the state security apparatus. Yeah. And state security involved, uh, you know, sp spying on people on pe on Soviet citizens. <laughs> uh, and, and, and he's very trusting, Stalin. No, he's not very trusting. <laughs> uh, he he's very he he, you know. I mean, I don't want to psychoanalyze uh, too much, but uh, I think it's fair to say that that Stalin um, uh, had a <laughs> fundamental mistrust. Paranoid, in other words. Uh, again, you know, clinically, I'm not sure, but mm. uh, certainly, he was aware of the fragility of of the Soviet political 
apparatus, the Soviet political system, you could say. Um, he was aware of what they called capitalist encirclement. And that didn't require paranoia. That, that, re that you could just look at a map and see all the bases that were established surrounding the Soviet Union. Uh, so uh, of course, you know, that, the, the linkages that Stalin drew or that he had sycophants to draw uh, between uh, internal and external enemies or uh, suspects or, you know, people uh, who are untrustworthy. I mean, these are, these are evidence of mistrustfulness to the extreme. Right. And of course, that brings us to the death of Stalin. And uh, I'd, I'd rather ask, have you seen the movie? And what do you think of it? Uh, he did see the movie. This is the Italian movie. or uh, The American one, I think. Oh, it's, I called, it's titled the death, death of Stalin. The death of Stalin. Stalin. Yeah, it's, yes. it's, actually, it's actually an Italian director. Oh. But it, yeah. And, okay, it's yeah. A, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, it, 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 well, like, like a lot of good historical fiction, it, it takes liberties with... I think it's more of a satire than actual... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite amusing in, in parts. Um, but, you know, it's inspired in the best sense of the word uh, by the, the actual events. Um, and um, what we know of those last days and Stalin's stroke and, um, and what, you know, the people surrounding him, uh, Mayenkov and Beria and Khrushchev and Molotov and so forth, um, what, what, what they come to decide to do, uh, you know, all of this is, is pretty well documented, surely though on the basis of uh, subjective uh, uh, impressions. Um, but uh, uh, Stalin was 74 when he had this stroke and he was not well for quite some time before that. Um, some people suggest uh, alcoholism. Some some suggest uh, other other health issues. But um, uh, the stroke uh, really does um, level him. Is it accurate that the guards didn't want to enter the room because they were feared Stalin's rats? Evidently, yeah, ev ev evidently. So what about after the death of Stalin and so are people do people feel like it's probably more safe or that how how who takes over because it's kind of the rest no no Soviet leader is remembered as much, I would say, as Stalin. You can't really say any names of other Soviet leader. Maybe maybe in last I don't his name is Keith Megan. There's not any really to put it that way, memorable memorable Soviet leaders after Stalin. Yeah. Well, you know, Stalin was there for 30 years as more or less as leader. And those were such crucial years in the formation of the institutions uh, of the Soviet Union that it's understandable why at the time of Stalin's death, uh, there was in Moscow uh, at his funeral mass hysteria. Um, the notion that the Soviet Union would be able to survive without Stalin was hard to, hard to foresee. 
How come he was put in a Kremlin next to Lenin, considering he was so, so much more, I would say, magnificent leader, in, and not put on the, on the, in a tomb beside Lenin in, in the Kremlin? Uh, he was, actually. Mm. Uh, uh, from the time of his death until 1962, I think it was, when uh, Khrushchev, who was a sort of eventual successor, having denounced um, many aspects of Stalin's uh, leadership in 1956, um, decided to have uh, the body removed from the Kremlin. Uh, to a, Do we have an idea where the body is today or is it kind of a secret location? Uh, no, it's in... Uh, Novodevichy, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a cemetery. I think I might in saying this, although I can't now be sure. Uh, I believe it's in the cemetery where a lot of other leading figures in politics and the arts and sciences are are buried. I, of course, I got to ask, what is your thoughts on Putin wanting to recreate the Soviet Empire, Empire ah. and Union? I got asked, of course. Yeah, sure. I don't, I'm quite sure Putin is not interested in recreating the Soviet Union. Um, that's not what Putin is about. Putin is an anti communist. Putin blames Lenin, as he did in his speech of February 23rd, for, uh, for the existence of an independent Ukraine. Um, and what Putin is interested in doing is to create or recreate the what he calls Russian world, uh, uh, which is to uh, absorb within uh, Moscow's rule people such as the Ukrainians, whom he regards as Russians essentially. Uh, so he wants to be the new Russian Tsar, not the new Soviet leader in other words. Well, Tsar is, you know, Tsar is the Russian version of Kaiser or Caesar, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah. authoritarian leader. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. And it's been a pleasure to have you on. Before you go, do you have anything you want to promote? And where can people buy your books if they are interested in looking more into Soviet history? And uh-huh. anything you wish me to put in the description? Okay, so um, I hadn't prepared this, but I'll quickly grab and show you uh, uh, two that uh, are relevant here. Uh, One is a book I uh, co-authored with a Russian historian called Stalinism as a Way of Life. This was published in the Yale University Press uh, series of books. back in 2000, um, and it consists mostly of documents from the Stalin period, annotated by us. Um, And the other book is my own memoir. Uh, That's a younger version of me on the cover there, um, called Stuck on Communism, uh, memoir of a Russian historian. This where, where, can people, where can people buy this book if they want to take a look at them? 2019. These are available um, 
from the publishers, which in the case of the first is Yale University Press and in the second Cornell University Press. Um, and also uh, from that um, megalopoly, the, the name of which begins with an A, but I'm not willing to mm. say what it is yeah. because I'm so hostile to, to it. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I think you all got the hint there. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for coming. My name is Alan. This has been Without Age 12. We are available on Instagram under Without Age 12. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find podcasts these days. And please consider if you are on Apple, that you, if you don't have an iPhone, consider rating us on, on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. Please like, share, and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.